1: do most of my old changes down there, have a cup of coffee, hang out down in Al Reno. It's a good spot to go. And not only are they great friends, but they provide a great service. So for over 60 years, third generation family owned Oklahoma business down in Al Reno. They're also in Bethany as well. So people in the Bethany area know the Diffies really well. But if you're looking for anything new, used um, Ford, Lincoln, or whatever, I'm sure they could find anything you want. Um check them out, DiffyFord.net, and then on Instagram at DiffyFord Lincoln. And let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, your host. Back with another episode, we are in Nicholas Hills today. Uh, we are at the home of uh, former Governor uh, Frank Keating and Kathy Keating. Kathy's been on the podcast, told so many great stories and all the secrets and all the bad stuff about you. <laughs> Joking, obviously. Uh, but now it's, uh, I mean, I'm really excited to dive into your story and hear about you know everything that you've been through, everything that you've done, all of the interesting stuff that we have in the house, you know, all the stories behind the artwork that's in the house and the plates. And you seem to travel a lot. And like you said just now, you know, people's houses don't seem to tell a story anymore. Whereas, you know, you walk into your house and, and there's a story behind you know, it's 50 years of stories in this house, which is incredible. So, uh, obviously you've been married, you know, 50 years. That's, that's congratulations on that. Uh, I don't know who to congratulate on that one, you or Kathy, but together. That's, well, you uh, certainly can congratulate me. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a, uh, quite an achievement for both of you, but thank you so much for, for inviting us into your home. And, and I'm excited to dive into, to some stories today. Um, but I guess let's start with, uh, you know, I mean, what, what, what have you been up to? What's current, what's current life like at the moment? And, and, I mean, what's, what is your day-to-day like? Well, after 50 years
0: of marriage, I say yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, to my wife. And Kathy and I have had a wonderful time. I Somebody asked me the other day, what is the most important decision you make in life? And I said, who you marry? And the second most important decision is who your children marry. And in our case, Kathy and I have been happily married for 50 years. I asked her to uh, marry me on our third date. And... We met in April and were married in November and have lived happily ever after. And that's really miraculous in today's society where you have so much divorce and so much dysfunction in families. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I was born to parents, one from Illinois and one from uh, Pennsylvania. My dad was a Pennsylvania. My mother's Illinois. Both of them had college degrees, and both of them were conscientious, hardworking people. Well, how lucky can you be? I mean, that's 80% of the way there if you have parents who live in an intact relationship. Both parents have college degrees. And my two brothers and I, all of us not only went down to graduate school, but we got advanced degrees as well. So I was really blessed in terms of what family I happened to parachute into.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and to that point, I mean, Kathy did say the same thing. She said you did ask on the third day and uh, that you were set up on a blind date. uh, And, you know, she said, I think... There, there's, there was a little age gap, obviously, between you and you guys met. Obviously, still is today, but. Well, she, my kid, uh, yeah. <laughs> her mother, she said, it was nervous what her mother would think at the time. Well, I, I think what's kind of funny is we met on a
0: blind date. Uh-huh. And so when I called her to confirm the fact that we could go out and have dinner, and she said, Well, now tell me about you. And I, I went through this fog bottom. Uh, dessert, if you will. And I Well, I graduated from Cashel Hall in Tulsa, and then I went to Georgetown University in D.C., and then I went to the University of Oklahoma Law School, and then I became an FBI agent, and I lived in Seattle and San Francisco, and then I came home and was an assistant D.A., district attorney, and my wife said, my wife-to-be, my yeah. New friend Kathy Heller said, "How old are you anyway?" And I said, "I'm 28." Well, she was 21, and she said, "Well, I don't think my mother's gonna let me go out with you." And uh, she did because yeah. she and she became my mother really. My Kathy's mom and I were very very close, and uh, I even represented her in her divorce as oh, wow. a lawyer against Kathy's own dad. Wow! And it was unfortunate, but it was the best thing that ever happened. To Kathy's yeah. mom and. And she's, matter of fact, buried in our family, Keating family plot okay. over in Tulsa. And just a delightful, wonderful, warm human being. But I have really been very fortunate from the day I was
1: born, um, and I have no complaints. Right. So, so you know, people read your bio. You, it says you were born in St. Louis, but then moved to Tulsa. Family moved to Tulsa because dad was in the oil business? Is yes. That right? Yeah, dad came from a
0: generation, the Depression-era generation, that here my father had a college degree. And what was the job he found during the Depression so he could eat? Well, he was a steel worker in Pittsburgh. He was a milkman in Pittsburgh. He worked in an oil-oil supply store in Salem, Illinois, where my grand, my grandfather and grandmother lived. That's where he met my mother. But think about that generation of young Americans and young people all over the world, you know, you may have a college degree, but so what? And he went out and worked as hard as he could at any job in order to put food on the table for himself. And he got into the oil supply business working for that and then got in the drilling business and was what was called a roughneck on a drilling rig, which was really the the, the lowest level, if you will, of worker uh, on a drilling rig and here he said I, I think I'm the only college graduate ever to be a roughneck on a drilling rig but that was a depression and yeah. hard working people who saw their way clear to survive
1: yeah well, what's like your earliest memories of moving to Tulsa
0: well Tulsa was then considered the oil capital of the world mm-hmm. I and mean, then Houston later bumped Tulsa out of the way, but the oil show every year was in Tulsa, and it called itself the oil capital of the world, and my mother and dad thought it was a wonderful city. It was in those days like Nashville or like Dallas, and the old saying used to be that you made your money in Oklahoma City and you spent it in Tulsa, because Tulsa had beautiful homes, hilly. Uh, wood lined streets and all and uh, oklahoma city was really the high prairie you know we're really blessed with all sorts of contours in the road map of oklahoma but i grew up in Tulsa i thought it was the center of the universe until i left him People said, hey, Frank, do you say we'll lobby or, you know, we that, you know, are you a cowboy? And yeah. I kind of said, oh, what? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> Tulsa is an urban area. Oklahoma City is, too. But, yeah. you know, I love being in Oklahoma because every lifestyle was embraced here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did, so, so growing up then, seeing your dad, you know, mom and dad going to college, you know, being, you know, a, a son of, of college Graduates and and being around, you know, your dad's successful. He's working very hard. He's come from the ground up, kind of thing. Going through that depression, what as a young kind of man are you thinking? I'm going to go on in my life to become. Do you think I want to go become in the lo- in, in go to the oil industry, or do you think no, I want to go my own way and do something else? Well, Mike, I think most of us who were teenagers
0: when I was growing up mm. probably thought, well, the oil business, the drilling business because Oklahoma was one of the significant states, mm-hmm. would be what you wanted to do. But dad's business had some real struggles when I was in high school. And when I graduated from high school, And my father said, you know, I can't make any money on $3 a barrel of oil. So I'm gonna to have to get out of this business but I have college paid for, for you and your two brothers. And so don't worry about that. But if you, when you graduate from college, then we'll talk about what you want to do uh, next. But my parents were very conscientious people making sure that we had every learning opportunity. I mean, uh, I spent my summers at Culver Military Academy, uh, learning how to sail and, uh, and crew. My grandmother had a home in Michigan. Uh, so we had absolutely the most wonderful outdoor boy summers that we possibly could. And I really appreciate my mom and dad for making that
1: possible. Yeah. So, and, and it's obviously, you know, it, it's great for dad to have just put that money aside, right? And said, scholarship's fine. like your guys are taken care of. You know, we'll, we'll support you in kind of whatever you want to do. <clears throat> but, and also, you know, it's just saying go and enjoy college, right? Well, we'll discuss what you want to do after, which is not... It's not common now, you know. A lot of people like go into college thinking already, yeah, I'm going to become this when I graduate, and I need to go and get a degree in whatever it is. But it's kind of nice that he kind of took the pressure away from from you and said, yeah, if you want to go do something, go figure. You know. Well, when I out.
0: graduated from college, he, mm-hmm. uh, he said, well, you know, your your school is expensive. If you want to go beyond, mm-hmm. then I would hope that you would come back home to go to the University of Oklahoma or some school here because it would be a real strain on me to have to pay for tuition. He never thought that you need to get a government loan. You need a student loan uh, and then you can be spending the next 20 years trying to figure out how to pay it off. I mean, he made sure... That if he said, you need to go to college, that he was in a position to help us go to college. And I had a little part-time job when I was in school to get extra spending money. But it was wonderful of him to do that. And because of his role in my upbringing, and my mother as well, I always listened to their guidance and advice a lot of kids today don't but I thought my dad was a you know wonderful gifted leader my mother was a lovely yeah. woman she had very frail health she died fairly young but uh, you know when he said uh, what are you gonna do now after high, after college I said well I really don't know I've probably will have to figure something out. And he said, well, no, what you ought to do is get a law degree because then you can tell the lawyers no. And I thought that was pretty good advice. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I got a law degree and later practiced law, but I immediately did not.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and before you graduated, you went to Georgetown. Yes. What, what led to you deciding to go to Georgetown out of all the other universities you could have gone to? Well, I'm a, I'm a Catholic and our
0: Catholic Augustinian preparatory school in Tulsa was all boys Mm -hmm. and they would only permit you to apply to a Catholic school unless um, you couldn't afford it. And then they would permit you to apply someplace else, like a state school. And for me, Georgetown was the oldest Catholic college in the United States. It was in Washington, D.C., my grandfather served a term in Congress, and I thought it would be an exciting place to go to school, yeah. and, uh, and that's where I went. And I don't regret it at all. Tragically, as a student at Georgetown, um, President Kennedy was killed. So all of the associated activities and the, and the processions and, the, and the, the horror of that process, as a student, we were right in the middle of it, and it was wow. something I never forgot.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's a huge, I mean, huge part of history to be so involved with and be affected by and a part of. That's right.
0: Wow. I mean, you you know, think about what they did then that they would never do today. Sure. I mean, we were standing, you know, we would just walk from Georgetown downtown, the procession route and all that. And uh, there on, on Pennsylvania Avenue, I think maybe it was Constitution Avenue, at any rate, Pennsylvania Avenue the leaders of the world walking in lockstep. Well, who would do that or expect that to be done today? I mean, Charles de Gaulle, he just towered over everybody else. And, you know, literally the leaders of every country that could come, there are huge numbers of people just walking together uh, down the avenue with the body of President Kennedy. And then we all ran across the um, Key Bridge and and, uh, Memorial Bridge to watched the burial. And I mean, it was something that, uh, it's just hard to imagine, but we were living history tragically at a time when tragedy did occur.
1: Yeah. So is it kind of this time at Georgetown, you kind of developed like the, the passion and, and need for public service. And and obviously you just mentioned your grandfather was in Congress for a term. Like do you obviously have history in the family of being in public service. Is that kind of, in the back of your mind thinking, you yeah, know, maybe I'll do that. I'll go in the... Obviously, you went to the military academy in the summers and stuff. There's something there that, you know, probably subconsciously is like nudging you in a certain direction. Well, I was um, I was president of my
0: high school class every year that I was in high school and was president of the student body. And then at Georgetown, I was president of the student body, president of the yard. And in law school, I was president of the student bar association. Yeah. I just lucked out, had a lot of of, uh, friends in school. But I like that. I like, you know, doing things, making things happen. We put on concerts at Georgetown for, you know, the kids to come and enjoy the, the pop culture of the day. Um, but you know, dad was one who served on the city commission in Tulsa, who was on the highway commission. Uh, and he said, well, your obligation as a citizen is to serve. Now, you determine what that's going to be, but you just can't say, I'm bored or I don't want to yeah. do that. Uh, all of us, and my mo- grandfather was a Democrat, my gr- my father was a Republican, and we were all expected at some point or other to serve in some public position. Okay,
1: yeah. And my two brothers and I did. Yeah, that's that's, I mean... Again, I don't think many parents are saying that to their kids now. Right? No, no, like, no know, I don't know, think so either. You, you know, that, which tragically, is, it, I it, yeah, right. and it, it's great. Like I said, you know, all of your family in 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 whatever way you you deem, you know, you serve the public in some way, right? Whether that's like I said, like right. your dad on the highway commission, or you know, where you go into the military or police, like that's that's rare today.
0: Right, so. but my parents were. Um, as I noted, you know, smart, educated people, experienced people, traveled people. You know, Oklahoma at the time was a, a Democrat state. It was the party of segregation, the poll tax, slavery, and d- racial discrimination. Uh, obviously it's not today, but that's the way it was then. And when I was a young boy in the horse show in tell my twin brother and I,
1: yeah.
0: uh, you know, we finished our route through the fairgrounds and I said, like little boys do, where's the bathroom, dad, I need to go to the bathroom. And he said, well, see that big black arrow pointing down. I said, yes, sir. And he said, and it says colored only. Yeah. You, that's where you go to the bathroom. I went, yeah. okay. So I didn't know what that meant. I came back and said, dad, what does colored only mean? Right. And he said, that's why you will never be a Democrat. Even though my mother was, and my grandfather was, you know, you'll never be a Democrat. That's the party of slavery, segregation, anti civil rights, the Ku Klux Klan. You will never be a Democrat. You hear me? Did you give me that word, your word, and I said, Yes, sir, I'll never be a Democrat, and I never did.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a pretty uh, pretty impactful moment, right? Yeah, so I, I said, Yes, end. sir, he fed me, so <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But yeah. back to back to obviously, you know, you shared that you you after you graduate Georgetown, you come back to Oklahoma City, uh, back to Oklahoma and you go to OU law. Well, after you know, you said you didn't generally go into law straight away. Do you become an FBI agent straight out of school? Like, is that the next, like, how, what leads you to get into the, that, the Bureau? Well, the, yeah, Mike,
0: the, the Bureau at that time, and it's not a lot dissimilar, Mm. but you had to have a law degree or be a CPA. Okay. to be an agent. You had, and and Hoover, when he was director, said the way I'll have a professional organization is education. So everybody had to have an undergraduate degree and they had to have a graduate degree in either a CPA in accounting uh, yeah. work or, or a law. So I was trying to think, well, what should I do? Well, it was Vietnam. My twin brother was a Marine officer And I had gone to see the possibility of becoming a lawyer in the Marine Corps, because I figured I could be drafted, and Mm -hmm. I was going to do that. Well, I had a a draft number that would never be called. I mean, it was way high. So I knew I I was not going to be drafted, and several FBI agents came to the law school trying to interview who might be interested in being an agent, and they said they need FBI agent. So I said, "Well, that might be kind of cool." Yeah. And so I lived in Seattle. My first out to San Francisco and Berkeley, and it was a, a wonderful learning and living experience for me because I was a bachelor and all my buddies weren't married either. So yeah, it was fun.
1: Well, when you look back and you think, you know, you, you know, I'm sure the grandkids hear all the stories about when you were, you know, going through your time. But like being an FBI agent sounds. Like you said, it sounds very cool. You know, mm-hmm. when you just graduate law school, you're not married, you have nothing keeping you here, yeah. you can travel, you can go to Seattle, San Francisco. So, you know, what... I'm interested in just those experiences and those times where, you know, you're, you're being trained, you're going on, obviously, you know, there's certain things you're not allowed to talk about. Right. But right. it's just interesting when you look back and think, you know, when you're a little, you're a little kid and most little kids grow up, they want to be that James Bond, right. They want to be that agent. <laughs> they want to be that yeah. kind of that figure. And you're like, you know, it, it, probably isn't as glamorous as it is in the movies. Yeah.
0: Well, you <laughs> know, the, great. the Bureau did federal crimes yeah. like crime on a government <laughs> reservation. And, Right when I arrived in Seattle, first case I had, I got a call to go to SeaTac Airport, Seattle Combe Airport, because there was a Pearl Shipment robbery that had occurred in the parking lot. So I showed up, and here's a sheriff's car, King County. And I got out, and I said, I understand there's a Pearl Shipment robbery, and I showed the guy my credentials. And he said, oh, yeah, I said, "Uh, that truck right here, 10, 4, 5 feet away from us. And I went over, not having much experience, to say the least. And I opened the door of the driver's side to look in the truck, and the driver fell right in my arms. Jeez. And he had a bullet hole in his temple and, you know, blood coming out of his nose. And I said, why didn't you tell me there was a dead guy in there? And the King County Sheriff said, well, you didn't ask. And I went, oh, my God. Well, that really radicalized me yeah. because, you know, I was a sheltered kid. You know, I had fun. We had, you know, played baseball or football in the backyard and all that stuff. Went to summer camp and that kind of stuff. But I had to go and tell this, uh, this victim's wife, and it was Christmas week, and he had two small children, as I recall, and a, a wife that their father was never going to come home. I mean, so I, I became almost instantly a supporter of capital punishment. Anyone who would intentionally do that somebody yeah. deserved to go to the devil. And uh, as a Catholic today, that's not necessarily embraced. Right. But, but um, and I had just lots of very interesting cases where I had to testify at trial. That's why I went back home to be a prosecutor. I wanted to get in the courtroom. But uh, there was always... You know, Berkeley was a wild place, Berkeley, California, and I thought the air naturally smelled like CS gas because we would go out and, you know, all that tear gas was yeah. everywhere. And it was a wild scene, but I was a single guy, and to me, it was just
1: yeah. kind of neat. Well, and it's all, I mean, you're, you're there to do a job, right? You're, you're doing your job, you're, 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 you're enjoying it, but also you're growing as a person. You have all these life lessons right. that you're growing up very quickly. You know, especially that first scene. But also back to what you just said is that you know you go into into prosecution. Do you go into it because you feel like you're not doing enough as an agent, or you're doing stuff, but you know these guys might go to trial and get away, so you think I'm going to go next, and I'm going to go to. Pro-. Is that kind of why you went to the prosecution? Well, side?
0: If, if you're if you're a prosecutor, <laughs> whether in our country at the state level or the federal level, and I later became an assistant district attorney at the state level when I returned to Tulsa from uh, uh, San Francisco, and then later became the United States attorney, appointed by President Reagan in the Northern District of Oklahoma in Tulsa. But you could have the best case investigated. You could be the, the wisest, smartest, most successful investigator. But if you have a $2 prosecutor who doesn't know what he's doing or she's doing, you can lose. So I, I just was appalled at some of the level of competency of the prosecutors. So I said, I'm going to go back home, be a prosecutor, and make sure we don't lose cases. Yeah. Not that we lost cases, but it was, I just, I, the you need a, a very professional person, particularly someone who had law enforcement experience to be a prosecutor to make sure the guilty are convicted and make sure the innocent aren't prosecuted. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously important in any yeah. uh, free society.
1: And, and did you, I mean, being away on the road for so long, do you enjoy coming back to Tulsa and being home and being in your own state, you know, back to Oklahoma and seeing yeah. family and friends? And yeah, I'm sure that was a nice perk of coming home too, right? Right.
0: Well, you know, I didn't begin my really heavy travel schedule until I went to work for the federal government, mm. but, To me, the you know, West Coast is beautiful, Seattle was beautiful, San Francisco was wonderful. Today, I'm not sure I'd want to live there. They're both those cities have their problems, yeah. But in those days, they were both first class, world class cities, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah. So, so what you spend, I mean, is it 30 years totally in in law enforcement, roughly doing you know, whether it's FBI attorney and, and rising up to that? And I know. You know, I I asked Kathy earlier. I said, "What was that day like when you mentioned to her that you wanted to go home and you wanted to run for governor?" Yeah. And she told you know because I, I asked if she'd brought it up and how that conversation went, and she said that um, you know you'd kind of went to we were I think she said you were working for a week in a law at a law firm in in Washington and came home and like my name on the door is re- replaceable. I want to go and make a difference.
0: Well, no, no, but but Mike, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. And, in, in my life, before I ran for governor, I supervised nationally the U.S. Secret Service, the Bureau of Alcohol and Tobacco and Firearms, the U.S. Customs Service, all the 94 U.S. Attorney's offices, the U.S. Marshals, the U.S. Prison System, Interpol. So I had... Virtually all of the federal law enforcement establishment under me when I worked for uh, President Reagan. And, and I later became general counsel and the deputy secretary of HUD when I worked for President Bush, HW. But I I thought Oklahoma, according to my father, and he was right, is a democratic state. There's no way a Republican would be elected governor. <clears throat> we hadn't had a Republican since the 60s. But I discovered there was An individual who would have defeated the current then Democrat governor, who was from Connecticut, he was an Italian-American, he was a saloon keeper, and he was going to win. So I said, well, I can beat him. So I came home and— uh, somehow, rather, did get elected and serve for two terms.
1: Yeah. Before before we dive into you know being being a governor for two terms and, and, and obviously a huge part of Oklahoma history in that and the the events that occurred, tell me about what it's like being appointed by uh, H. W. and Reagan to be over all of those. You know that that's that's a pretty honorable spot to be in, right? Like you're in a well, lot. Well, it
0: was during the uh, Cold War. Yeah. And
1: I did a lot of
0: traveling in Europe, and Eastern Europe even, and which was another world uh, during the Cold War. Matter of fact, when you'd go from uh, West Berlin uh, into East Berlin, the communist border guards would, you never gave them your passport because they'd rip it up. So you put it up against the window and then he would have a coffee break, and then when he was finished his coffee break, he would walk through. I mean, yeah. you know, with the Berlin Wall and all, but but those those were exciting times. I, you know, I, I I'm so proud to be in a free society where you can disagree with somebody and not be jailed. Yeah. And in those days, you couldn't disagree with somebody if you were living in the Soviet bloc and not be jailed. Same thing with the communist system and in China and any other of those countries, so it was a wonderful learning experience for me. Uh, but I, I mean, I just soaked it all in and was, you know, in the middle of a lot of interesting things for
1: Uncle Sam during yeah. that period. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just you're aware of a lot of you see how the world works, right? right? And How nations work together or might not work together, and and you see a lot of you know you're in the room when a lot of important decisions are being made. Uh, where the rest of the world has no idea, right? you know, and that's, you know, and you look back and, you know, might y- you look back and 20, 30 years later, you might see the result of the, of the the decisions that were made collectively in that room or between whoever. And now you could see the effects of that. And, you know, some people might have no idea who was in that room that day and made those decisions, but you know, <clears throat> and that, that's gotta be. Well, no, really and, and you know, it.
0: Mike, what you do do is you draw conclusions about what kind of people do you want to see in charge of your country or particular policies or bureaus or agencies? And to me, you can always find smart people. You can always find people who are patriotic, but you need people who are humble as well in a free society like ours, limited government society. And I just became a a real focused person in favor of that, you know, because when I was in, in the governor's office, overwhelmingly was the legislature Democrat. When I was a state house member, overwhelmingly Democrat, state senator, overwhelmingly Democrat. But I said, well, I'll just have to, you know, work with these people to make sure they understand I'm not, I don't have horns and we can do things together uh, to make a success happen for Oklahoma. But most of that I didn't learn until I was, you know, working for the federal government, and seeing the quality of leadership, most of whom I thought were really very good. Mm-hmm. President Reagan, the people around him, President Bush, HW, the old man, mm-hmm. people around him, I thought were first-rate people. Yeah.
1: Do you ever, um, were you, were you? do you remember the day that HW came to Stillwater? Do you remember that day? Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was, I did a podcast with Stan, uh, Stan Clark, and he, you know, because they he mentioned, oh yeah, Eskimo Joe's in that, you know, and that kind of set off. I think that put cheese fries on the map. I think yeah. it's what Stan said. Well, well was, you know, uh,
0: yeah. Stillwater's a, a wonderful community. Yeah. OSU's, a, and I say, say that as the chairman of the University of Oklahoma Board of Regents. Yes. But that said, yeah. Um, you know, w- once when I came to Stillwater, maybe it was the time you are talking about mm-hmm. with Stan Clark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came with Jack Kemp. I remember Jack Kemp, my mentor, the Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, a great uh, football player, uh, the Buffalo Bills in particular. But I asked Jack if he would come out and help me, and he did. And he came out. We had a rally among a a bunch of of the students at OSU, and... uh, Of course, they thought he was great because of his background. And Jack was one of the most humble people. He said to me one time, he said, you know the difference between rich people and poor people? Our offices were right next door to each other. And he would bring a glass of red wine for me and red wine for himself. And I said, the difference between rich people and poor people know what? And he said, rich people have more money. Absent that, there's no difference. I mean, he was a a real classless person. Like, we are all equal. We're all the same. Some are more uh, fortunate than others because of health or brains or whatever. But I remember that Stillwater trip, Jack... At least one of them, Jack, was with me.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's a cool moment, and I know uh, I know Stan at Eskimo Joe's absolutely loves that moment. Um, but moving towards, you know, you 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 know, running for governor and winning, and you won like it was landslide. You know, you are winning that, and and you're home, and you're deciding that you know I I am going to do this. I am going to win, and I, I think Kathy talked talked about you know when you made the decision, and she knew that you were going to win because you would. I think she said to you, I'm not moving back unless you're fully committed and you think you're going right. to win. And right. she said it took a few days. To well, because,
0: before. you know, my dad said you can't win. <laughs> right, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, from his experience. And Kathy yeah. said, you better win. Yeah. Uh, but I don't regret a moment. No, of course not. And and, and then obviously, you know, you know, like I like we, me and Kathy spoke about you, you never, you, you never think it's, things are going to unfold the way that they do. Yeah. But, you know, you get sworn in in January of 95 and then, you know, the entire world of oklahoma and everybody's world is is rock that you know months and months later and you're in you're you're in you're the man i was looking to you're in the chart in charge and after talking to you for 30 minutes i can't i'm sure that those 30 years in law enforcement really really helped you during that time as a leader Keeping calm, making sure everything's everyone's doing, because it's ultimate chaos at that time.
0: You know? Well, you know, most people don't realize, and I had it confirmed with me by one of the federal people who <coughs> was in charge in helping us at the right. at the in the federal response. He said, "You know, it's probably no surprise to you. We knew who you were, but he said there was no place in the last forty years." were a man-made or natural disaster major event that we let the locals run it. And in your case, we let the locals run it because Oklahoma City had a highly competent uh, law enforcement establishment. The National Guard, you appointed a guy who already was a general. And you know, we didn't have to worry. Now, we had to talk the New Yorkers off the wall because they think they're supposed to run everything. But uh, the Oklahoma Standard was established. Here we had 302 buildings damaged or destroyed, you know, nearly 200 of our neighbors and friends murdered, and yet not one act of looting occurred. And which is really remarkable, and people handled themselves with extraordinary precision and skill and generosity. And uh, I know I would see off the FEMA search and rescue teams when they are going back to where they came from. I remember a you know a firefighter had a dollar bill and he waved it and he said, Hey, you, ever, you 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 know what this is? And I said, yeah, I'm in politics. That's money. That's a dollar bill. And he laughed. He said, no, it's an Oklahoma dollar. It's the dollar I brought with me when I came. It's the same dollar I'm leave, uh, leaving with. I never had to spend a cent on anything, whether it was laundry, uh, equipment, meals. You, The check never came in a restaurant. He said, we've never seen a place like this. Yeah. And it was a great compliment to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And it, like you said it, it you know unfortunately put Oklahoma on the map for the wrong reasons but then also the response and the bounce back and how how the community rallies and the state rallies around such a tragedy too like you said that Oklahoma standard and everything that's come from that with maps and all the other incredible things that would probably might not have happened if that didn't happen and it's you know it, it's a huge part of Oklahoma history and and for you to be in that position to be there you know <laughs> well, it's, when I was um, uh,
0: just elected to the legislature, I was 28. And my dad said, well, the one unfortunate thing is you have to go down to Oklahoma City to work. He said, it's red dirt, it's wind yeah. and government. And he said, it's not a fun place to visit. Well, today, two of our three children live here. <laughs> they wouldn't think about living anywhere. They all grew up on the East Coast. Um so what does it say that the Oklahoma Standard <laughs> maps the confidence of the public here created really an extraordinary, wonderful new city, one
1: of the top twenty cities in population in the United States, yeah. and you know I think that's cool. Oh yeah, and I'm, I mean it makes you I'm sure immensely <clears throat> proud now to see you know the things that are happening in this city, whether it's you know the Omni coming in, the new park going in, you know the the new developments that have been that have been, you know, voted on and agreed on. Like, it's it's still happening today. You know, it's not, we're not done yet. You know, this right. city's got a lot of room to grow and it's still growing, which is, it's really cool to see. And I'm sure it takes you back. And and the people who were in leadership positions during those times and since then have done a great job to propel it in the right, play, you know, forward.
0: No, so. I agree with you. To have an NBA franchise, <clears throat> that's something that would not have happened. But for <clears throat> the attention Oklahoma City received. We hosted the uh, New Orleans basketball team, and most of those guys didn't want to go back. I mean, they really enjoyed being here. But... um, You know, it's the quality of the people. And, you know, we have good people and some bad people. There's no question about that. But Oklahoma City leadership showed itself to be highly skillful and competent Mm -hmm. and honorable. And I think most people saw that. And this city is a Mm -hmm. real magnet for a lot of people who want to try a new life.
1: Yeah. And then, during obviously you get reelected for a second term, (laughs) and I think at the time— the second i think governor at the time to be to do to serve consecutive terms what happens after you know like you 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 yeah, 05 is it you 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 finish in 05 and you go on to oh, 03, 03 yeah. yeah what happens after you you know you <laughs> you govern for a second term you think okay i'm you know, i'm done now what what am i going to do now
0: well What's i'm next? i'm really a big supporter of term limits because yeah. it will make sure that people like you and others run for public office. I mean if somebody can stay in office as long as they wish, look at the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, that's not healthy. And so I had no problem. Uh, I knew I had a Democrat House and Senate. One thing I might say that I had the Oklahoma State University and Oklahoma University economics departments to answer the question, why are we poor? Why are we forty-fifth in per capita income? They came back and said, You don't have a right to work, the transportation infrastructure sucks, the kids don't take hard enough courses in school, you know, and and too much divorce. I mean they went through the list. Yeah. So I went to the Democrat leaders and I said, Okay, here's our way forward. And we moved from forty-fifth to thirty-seventh in per capita income and family income. And oil was never above twenty dollars a barrel, so it showed something fundamental had happened. But I was a father of charter schools, for example. They've been hugely successful, and uh, we passed right to work in the Constitution, all these other things yeah. that made a lot of difference in the economic uh, strength of the community. But when it was all over, I thought, well, I, you know, can uh, I need to earn a living because yeah. I had spent most virtually every minute in public life. So I represented the life insurance industry in D.C., 400 happy state-regulated CEOs. Then I represented the banking industry, 5,500 unhappy federally-regulated CEOs. And it was fun. I, You know, yeah. on and off, I've lived in D.C. for 25 years. But in 2016, Kathy and I both agreed, you know, law firm aside, let's— and I came out here with a national mm-hmm. law firm, then decided that wasn't working, and I moved on. But I'm on a number of boards and mm-hmm. and uh, doing what I can to uh, to help, for example, as the OU, uh, Oklahoma yeah. University, uh, Regents Chair. But I've also done seven young readers' books uh, because I love kids, and yeah. Kathy loves kids, and those have been successful. And yeah, well, all the proceeds go to the museums, I don't— yeah. take anything.
1: When did that start? When did the, the writing children's book start? Uh,
0: really after I was selected. Okay. And the first one I did was uh, on Will Rogers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because Will Rogers was a remarkable man and really the the centerpiece of Oklahoma early history. And my father from Pennsylvania said, you all don't realize how revered Will Rogers was. He gave <clears throat> nationally uh, listened to addresses, of course, in those days on the radio at the Republican convention and the Democrat convention. He said, for those of us suffering through the depression, Rogers lifted us up like everything's going to be fine. And then I did one on... Um, uh, President Washington, President Lincoln, uh, uh, President Theodore Roosevelt—they and those were all the Mount Rushmore uh, books, and then a book, a young readers book on the uh, uh, on the story of the Oklahoma City bombing for children. And then uh, Alexander Hamilton, who was a brilliant leader of the colonial period, uh, and the trial of Standing Bear, the civil rights case of Indians uh, being treated as human beings under the Constitution. So, for young readers, those are all important stories. I really love doing stuff
1: like that. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, being the chair of the Board of Regents. We won't talk about the state of the football this year <laughs> neither there's, neither there's are you we don't want to talk about, about that Oklahoma football <laughs> in general I yeah. think this year but um, what what is it like seeing the university you know because I know you just there was a big announcement recently right with a new sports facility going in is that yeah. right close to the stadium and, and you know the the obviously over the last few years the stadium has grown it anyway. you know bringing the, the end caps in and it must be really exciting to be a part of a group like that of, of former you know Obviously, alumni, and, and but to be able to make decisions to that impact the university in such a great scale. And that, well, you
0: know. I'll I tell you, I'm really impressed with the board, mm-hmm. President Kevin, excluded. I mean, there are seven of us, and I would make a best friend out of any of the other six. There, I mean, really, people have successful backgrounds, yeah. <clears throat> you know, men and women uh, of, of color. Uh, different sexes, and it, it's just really wonderful to be around a diverse group like that. But you know, we uh, won the national softball women's softball championship, and a family here, the Loves, are you know building the stadium for um, for women's softball. I think that's f- fabulous. Um, we also did something very recently. It's important for a state with a sorry early tradition of civil rights, uh, contempt really for civil rights, and that's uh, the Chicago principle, the Chicago statement. Mm-hmm. Free speech, the so right to express yourself without regard to having someone take action against you. You can't be punished okay. for giving your views and arguing for your position That's America. Fundamentally, that's America. And we became one of the universities that followed that Chicago statement and it's now a part of the theology of Oklahoma University
1: yeah yeah and and looking around the house and you know you gave me a little tour earlier of some of the you know your, your study and stuff seems like you're a lover of history too you know and not just the military history because I know you have some prized musket you know, <laughs> prized possessions in, in, in you know in collecting muskets and, and some other really cool kind of gifts that you've had but it seems you absolutely love like the history of things too and, and have a passion for history that probably just you kind of seem to keep to and don't really talk about too much, but I'm interested in, in what your passion is, is specifically down the history route and what, you know, do you have a fair era or, or a decade or just just fascinated and all in general?
0: Well, we, matter of fact, the, we have 11 grandchildren yeah. and um, beginning with the, f- uh, the oldest boy, um, when he was maybe 12 or so, we began visiting Civil War battlefields. And I was uh, would always hire the person who was the head of the park who had retired, or somebody, or who wrote the book about whatever the, the you know Richmond battlefields or um, Gettysburg or whatever it may be. And we really got into that, and we're not finished because there's a lot more to do. <clears throat> uh, I remember I was invited to talk to the Gettysburg Foundation about my. Uh, young reader's book on Standing Bear, the Indian whose case established Indians were people under the Constitution. And why I got invited by them was amazing. That was in Pennsylvania, Gettysburg. And I remember when my talk was over, you know, those of us who occasionally give public speeches, invariably somebody will come up to you and say, hey, great job. And then they go out and say, I was really kind of a jerk. But in any event, there was a gray-haired man kind of standing off and I said, hi, I'm Frank Keating. Thank you for being here this is after my talk. And he said, I'm Jim McPherson. And I went, Dr. James McPherson from Princeton, the battle cry of freedom, the greatest living Civil War scholar. And he said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, you should have been up there, not me. And he said, I've never heard that story. It's great. If you and your wife and get a, a group, I'll do Gettysburg on horseback with you and wow. tell you the whole story. We had to do bicycles because <laughs> yeah. there were too many kids running to pet horses, uh, and we decided to go the bicycle route. But to stay at the Sherphy House on the Gettysburg battlefield and pickets charge to the north and the Mississippians coming in from the south, wow. and the horror and agony of that particular battle, a turning point in the war, I mean, I thought that was so Cool, and we began this tradition of all over the east coast of this thing, including Oklahoma. We the Battle of the Washita was not civil war, but it was Custer mm-hmm. and you know showing the kids what happened here and you know how bad things were and how good things later became.
1: Yeah, yeah, to that, I mean, to that point, we have a we have a, an art, uh, Brenda, what would you call that? I'm thinking of the words, what's the art? We have a space yeah, the art. Uh, if you go to the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, you will see the special exhibit that is based on that exact battle. Uh, and the art pieces are incredible. Uh, five, six artists come together and create this in- incredible series and it tells the story of that. Yeah. Uh, and it's important to tell those stories. You know, it's yeah. important. It's history. People need to know that. i big believer in, you know, you got to tell history the right way, right? And not kind of, you know, because all... History sometimes is extremely bad, but we've yeah, got to learn from it. Right. We've got to know how we've come forward, and you can't... I don't like the fact that some people want to hide it from others. I think it's...
0: Well, okay. no, you're absolutely right, because my publisher, and I won't mention the name, but <laughs> yeah. doesn't want to publish... The fourth of the Mount Rushmore books, yeah. Thomas Jefferson, because he owned slaves. Yeah. Well, he also was the founder of the University of Virginia. He also authored the Declaration of Independence. He also was responsible for the Louisiana Purchase, the, the great acquisition of land so that we had the continental United States as a result. And, uh, but th- those books are all in the first person, and they wanted me to say, well, maybe you can say that he learned his lesson. I say, well, he never did. Yeah. And I have, there are no quotes where Jefferson said, hey, I screwed up. So they don't want to do it. Well, to your point, uh, you know, all history is not good history. There is bad history, but there's lessons learned yeah. from that bad history. You know, at the Battle of the Washita, as bad as Custer was in that battle, he was the one who captured Charlottesville Virginia for the North. He was a brilliant uh, cavalry commander, and thank goodness the North won the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway.
1: Yeah, no, and you're right. Said. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Uh, the other thing kind of closing, in, 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 you know, with just a few more questions, I want to interested in, you know, the— um, you know, you've been through a lot, you, you know, you have so many stories and you've kind of, it seems like you've lived multiple lives in the life that you've lived. It's, I'm I'm interested in like two questions, kind of what are you most proud of would be the first one out of everything you look back on and all the things that you've done, the impacts that you've had. What what stands out is like, these are really proud moments of mine.
0: Well, the best moment was meeting Kathy and and getting married to Kathy. I mean, there's no question about it. I really, I'm not a proud pride person. I mean, I can look back and see, for example, you mentioned the Oklahoma City bombing, you know, how well handled that was, but how can you be proud of that? Sure. Who did that? How could that have happened? Why did that happen? I mean, McVeigh was an evil, horrible human being, um, but we showed ourselves to be the best and the brightest and, um, in responding to a tragedy like that. But um, I've just tried really to work with people, consider myself no better than anybody else. And it's amazing how much you can learn if you say, what do you think? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And most people don't say that.
1: Yeah. Uh, Moving in the other way then, is there anything that you would, you would, you regret or anything you would change? Well, I wish I were a better athlete as a child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean... I agree. Same. (laughs) Well,
0: no, no. uh, My dad, he... In those days, you just didn't have all these teams and everything. And I told him... Because uh, he was president of Southern Hills Country Club over in Tulsa, which is one of the great golf courses mm-hmm. here, and I said, "Well, Dad, I know you want me to to caddy for you, but how about teaching me how to play golf? That'd be fun." He said, "No, golf is an adult sport, yeah. and you're not an adult, which means do something else." And I said. Like what? He said, "Well, go down to the skeet field and learn how to shoot clay pigeons." So I—that was my first trophy at age eleven, the sub junior champion of Southern Hills Country Club. But I mean, there are just many sports that I think baseball would have been a lot of fun to play more of. But we—I just. You know, just never had an opportunity to do it. Maybe I had no talent. That's too true, too. But if you don't try, you don't succeed. Yeah. And, and that's where I wish that I had more encouragement when I was a little boy uh, yeah. to play baseball or learn how to play golf. That I... I didn't. So, did you ever pick up a golf club after that moment when you? Yeah, did? in my 40s. Okay. 50s, really. It's I a took tough it time up.
1: to stop playing golf at that age. Well, yeah,
0: because your
1: balance is different.
0: Yeah. And, uh, but I, I did get two holes in one in my <laughs> oh, that's brief uh, golf career. I thought that was kind of cool. Where at? Yeah. Uh, one was a course in D.C., both of them were courses okay. in the metro yeah. Washington area. And, uh, but, you know, it's just, to me, to, uh, we, we have a Labrador retriever rescue to walk her every morning. We have a ranch property in the metropolitan Oklahoma City area. And I, uh, you know, love to hunt and fish. And we're going to do that spend uh, the upcoming Christmas before Christmas with some of the kids who are coming from out of state. Yeah. And it's just going to be fun. But I think what's important is to take full advantage of every day and never feel sorry for yourself.
1: Yeah no that's that's a great i think a great call and great statement you're right there with that it's um it's important uh and i you know i think looking back on everything that you've done and the lessons and the stuff that we talked about today you know i can't help but think of how how great a job your parents did right of raising you and your brother and everybody to yeah. be the way that you are because ultimately they're your first teachers right you look at them right. a lot you know and it's. It's, you know, back to that, back to that example you said, you know, you gave, you like you're never going to be, uh, you know, you're always going to be um, a Republican. But the other question I have is, is that interested in, you know, being in a place of, of, of office and, and a place of, you know, kind of leadership roles. Was the presidential or any, like, I'm going to run for president, one day ever an idea or ever a thought in any of those times? Did anyone come to you and say, I think you'd be good for this, and put you in, and you just decided Oh, oh yeah, to? I mean, but but I was about $30 million short.
0: <laughs> you have yeah. to have access to a lot of money. Yeah. But I was really active behind uh, in the John McCain campaign and the... Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, I know there were two of us, Ed Meese, who was attorney general of the United States, that were the Reagan alumni for Trump. Uh, that was a mistake. No, I'm kidding. He did some good things, the <laughs> judicial appointments yeah. and all the rest. But, yeah. uh, uh, you know, those presidential candidates, uh, uh, President Bush, HWI, I just really admired him and worked mm-hmm. for him. Uh, but John McCain and I became very good friends. I used to travel with him during his campaign. Yeah, And he was a really glorious patriot uh, patriotic human being. Um, but I do I guess Bill Clinton and I went to school together. Um, I've known him since college and of course knew George W Bush yeah because we were governors together. Um, and, you know I've certainly met and gotten to know President Trump yeah but I all the way back to Gerald Ford I've known a lot of those guys.
1: Well, and you go back, like especially tied, tying into the history of things too, right? And you go right. in and you look back at you know all of the presidents that were in the military and, and were leaders right. going all the way back. It's right. fascinating to see that, and then um, you know and, and have those experiences, but to have those relationships too, and and be you know friends with those people because you also see the the good and the bad side of it, right? Because right. it's not easy, I assume, being you know the leader of the free world as you call it. You know, yeah. it's not. There's a lot of things going on, and, and it's not just for you. It's all everything. It's the pressure that's on the family, and it's all that other stuff too. So, well, that's why humility is so important. Yeah, to be, I know when I became
0: United States Attorney to show you how the culture is. Mm-hmm. When I became U.S. Attorney, we had a big uh, jury table in my office, and my first meeting with the staff, I saw sat in the middle of the mm-hmm. table. Uh, anticipating everybody would sit all the way around me. They didn't. They sat opposite me. They all pulled chairs looking at me. It's like (laughs) if I were here and all the chairs were out this way, Uh which was crazy. In D.C., the the last—you would sit in this chair, the next meeting that chair would be empty. So someone would say, oh, he sits here. And oh, but—which is silly. Yeah. You know, I— I told everybody, we're all a team here. I said, you guys, most of you are older than I am, so I need to know what to do and how to do it. And as I used to say to my staff when I was governor, if the USS Oklahoma goes down, Mm. you know, we all go down together, and the last people laughing will be the Texans. So
1: (laughs) can't have that. (laughs) No, we cannot have that at all. Uh, As a uh, a transplant in Oklahoma myself, we cannot have that at all. Uh, But... uh, I, this has been a blast. I want to thank you so much for sharing some great my, my stories. My pleasure. Thanks, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun and, and thanks for having us in your home. Uh, and, you know, it's great to, uh, when we thought about doing this podcast, we thought about doing it with both, you know, you and Kathy together. But you're, both of you have done so much it deserves, you know, you both deserve your own episode because I think, like you said earlier, if you were here when Kathy had done her podcast, there might have been some cutting in, we'd have been laughing and joking. And, right. you know, I think people deserve to listen to both of your stories because even though they intertwine and you're together, you know, you've both done so many great things for, for each other, your families, and this state that, you know, it, it's great for people to get to hear those stories. So I want to thank you and Kathy as well for having us. Uh, and you know, well, you're certainly very welcome. Thanks for doing this. I think yeah. this is.
0: You know, if you don't uh, live history, if you don't uh, remember history, a lot of important uh, good lessons will be lost forever, yeah. and I think this is really fabulous. You're doing this.
1: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I absolutely love doing it. I'm going to continue doing it as long as I have a voice to do it, as <laughs> long as I'm allowed to and be welcomed into people's homes uh, to interview them. But uh, for people listening, uh, I want to thank you. Actually, no, I don't want to finish because we haven't we haven't talked about you being inducted to the Oklahoma Hall of Fame yet. Ah. how would I miss that? 2005.
0: Well, I yeah, I, I would say that was another very infor- yeah. fortunate. A minute in my life, and uh, uh, it, uh, the Hall of Fame is a wonderful uh, searchlight on yeah. lives. And I think what they do to honor posthumously people who have made a great contribution to the state, people who have a dollar in their pocket and who have $10 million in their pockets, you know, without regard to how much education you had or didn't have or how much money you have or didn't uh, earn. um, There are fabulous stories of hardship, deprivation, and success um, in this state. And uh, uh, I mean, Oklahoma is chalked off for red people and the story of Native Americans here is brilliant. The story of, of overcoming horror in terms of racial segregation and deprivation is a a beautiful story to have black towns where people flood the South in order to establish uh, homes here. So Oklahoma has just a lot of wonderful history and the Hall of Fame uh, puts the searchlight on it and I'm happy it does. Yeah. Who, uh, who introduced you that day? I think Tom Ridge. Okay. Is that right? Brenda? Okay. Tom Rids was governor of Pennsylvania. Okay. Excuse me, when I was governor of, of Oklahoma. And he um, was the first secretary for Homeland Security mm-hmm. uh, and, and a very good friend. So he came out and
1: yeah. introduced me. Who That's
0: did awesome. Kathy? Do you remember?
1: Oh, she said your next door neighbor from Virginia, the uh. news guy. The, the, oh, oh, oh. Um, uh, you know, uh, Sam Donaldson. Yes, yes. that's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Who was Obviously, fabulous. Was a, yeah. I mean, he <laughs> was a
0: national yeah. news figure in his day. Yeah. He used awesome. to drive President Reagan nuts because <laughs> I'd be with him, and Donald
1: says, Mr. President, would you have a minute to talk? And he said, for you, I don't think so. And then he'd laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. What's that like then, being around someone like Ronald Reagan, who, you know, you got to see him every day. You got to experience that, being around him. And you also get to see him, you know, not in the public eye, right? You get to see him who he really is, which is the great way to see someone. And I'm sure you will say the same person. He is the same person around you as he was in front of a camera. Well, you know, he he had three by five cards. Yeah.
0: But he was, he was an actor. And a lot of us write down things that we want to make sure we say – and as Brenda knows, I never had a written text in my say of the state. I was just the opposite. You know, I would have it all in my mind what I wanted to say. But Reagan, you know, people say, well, you know, wasn't he alzheimer there? Uh, no. He would have a card and say, well, let me ask you a question as a follow-on to that. And I just thought he was delightful. When we adjourn here, i got to show you a photograph that yeah. you'll really smile. because. Uh, I'll show it to you. I don't need
1: yeah. to say it on the air. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i got to see it. But Well, again, thank you so much for having us. Uh, thank you for everything you've done, everything that you continue to do. Uh, I know OU is obviously super glad to have you doing the things that you're doing down there. And uh, everyone on the board, I'm sure, is is happy to be involved and doing great things. Uh, I have to tell you about one of your, board, uh, your fellow board members as well after we get off this because i don't want to tell every. well i will tell i won't tell you his name but i will tell you i play golf with him and he's terrible at golf uh, just, should not be playing golf but i'll tell you who that is after uh but yeah thank you so much for having us and for people listening uh we will catch you next episode oklahoma business down in El reno they're also in bethany as well so people in the bethany area know the diffies really well but if you're looking for anything new used um ford lincoln or whatever i'm sure they could find anything you want um check them out diffieford.net and then on instagram at diffieford lincoln thank you for listening
0: thank you for listening we are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too